right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. School of Humans. Hey guys, I just ate a snack. Guess what it was? It was my colleagues. Ah, just kidding. I mean, I work in podcasting. There is no reason for me to have to eat my colleagues as of right now. Because the thing is, I also work on a true crime show. And sometimes I'm like, are we going to run out of murders? Are we going to have to make our own? Will I need to cannibalize my fellow producers to make exciting content for the hordes of true crime fans in order to get on the Apple podcast charts? It's a competitive market. You got to hustle. You got to grind those bones like my colleagues bones. Guys, I'm just kidding. Don't cancel me. Not this early in the season. But I'm only mentioning this because there are some professions throughout history where you might find yourself in a situation where you have to eat a colleague or two. It might happen. Specifically, one profession where this happened was whaling. And I don't mean whaling like a banshee after drinking a bottle of wine because a guy named Kevin ghosted you. I mean being a person who goes out into the ocean and hunts and kills whales. Beautiful, innocent whales with a harpoon. That's whale for please, no, not my brother, Jonathan, no! I just think that would be funny if, like, there was a whale out there named Jonathan. That would be, like, because they're a big, majestic creature. But he's like, yeah, you can just call me John. But I do feel like being a whaler, I think it's probably a pretty stressful job. Like, a lot more stressful than making a whittle podcast. Because not only do you have to catch a big old whale, you also have to be on a boat with 20 of the same people for months and months and months, and the Wi-Fi is terrible. Especially because it is the early 19th century. And the thing about eating your crewmates, not only was this a thing that happened from time to time, it was also socially acceptable. Because when you're on a boat, far out from land, anything can happen. You might get lost in the middle of the ocean. You might run out of food. You might get attacked by a big-ass whale who's tired of whalers. And your only hope at survival 
is eating your fellow sailor. Eating some seamen, if you will. So yes, we have finally reached an episode about cannibalism. Cannibalism that was deemed necessary because a whale fucked up a boat. Theme music! This is American Filth, and I'm your host, Gabby Watts. Every week, I tell you a filthy story from American history. Today's episode, Sea Snack. Nom, 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 nom. Probably some of you smarty pants had already guessed this, but this episode is about the ship, the Essex. You might know that accounts from its last voyage provided some spicy inspiration for Herman Melville's Moby Dick. But I went to a public high school, guys. I didn't read Moby Dick. Call me Ishmael. Why? My name's Gabby. Anyway, let's get into the content before I spiral. The Essex was built in Amesbury, Massachusetts. It was a three-masted ship built from white oak. The wood was known for its strength, which is ironic in this case because it's going to be fucked up. Originally, merchants used this ship for trade, but then it was turned into a whaling vessel. But whaling was dangerous. While the ship itself was large, it had to be outfitted with smaller boats. Once a crew spotted a whale, they would hop into the smaller boats and chase the mammal down. Ropes connected the harpoons to the boat, Then when the men had tied the whale down, they would kill it with a lance before towing it back to the main ship. Blubber and oil, baby, it makes the world go round. The Essex was at first known as a lucky vessel. By the time of the adventure I'm talking about today, the ship was about 20 years old, and it had made many successful and profitable voyages. The 87-foot-long vessel was set to sail on August 12, 1819. It carried 21 men, including first-time captain George Pollard, Jr. Also heading on what was supposed to be a two-and-a-half to three-year voyage was first mate Owen Chase, second mate Matthew Joy, and Pollard's cousin Owen Coffin. Coffin was about 10 years younger than Pollard, and Pollard had promised Coffin's mom that he would keep him safe. <laughs> Foreshadowing. The plan was to leave Nantucket and head to the South Pacific Ocean. But the sea had other plans for these guys. Off the bat, they were hit with some bad luck, literally. Two days into the trip, a storm knocked the Essex on its side and the ship got damaged. One of the sails was broken and two whaleboats were missing. Pollard was like, yo, we should head back. I'm not feeling too good about this trip. His first mate, Chase, was like, nah, we're good. I think we should keep going. Pollard was like, fine, we'll keep going. The ship was able to sail to Cape Horn in a few weeks, but the waters around the tip of South America were pretty fished out. So off they went again. No whales for the Essex. Finally, two months later, the ship spotted their first whale south of Rio de Janeiro. And yada, 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 more traveling was done until they entered the South Pacific in January 1820. The Essex reached the waters of Peru. 
It was only then that they finally started catching the big game. The crew caught and killed 10 whales. Then in late May, Pollard decided to head into deeper waters because that had proven lucrative for other whalers. They stopped at a little town in Ecuador in September 1820 to prepare. At that point, one of the dudes ditched the crew while they were there, so they ended up being one man short. But whatever, it's just one guy. What could go wrong? The Essex then headed to Hood Island in the Galapagos, where they repaired a leak and restocked. And I guess because they were bored or whatever, they caught 200 tortoises. R.I.P. tortoises. In October 1820, the men arrived at Charles Island. There, they collected even more tortoises because 200, sometimes that's just not enough tortoises. And then one of the crew members, as a practical joke, set a small fire on the island. And it turns out that that small fire would wipe through the entire island. It even caused the dudes themselves to turn tail and run. Even years later, it remained a charred version of what it once was. But you guys know, boys will be boys, and boys will ruin an entire ecosystem. But back to the story. The ship then left the safety of the Galapagos Islands, and this is where the thing started going wayside. It's November 1820, and the crew spotted a whale on the horizon. Some of the crew members jumped into the whaling boats to go catch the whale. But 23-year-old Chase, remember the first mate, stayed aboard the Essex. And while he was just milling about, he spotted some craziness in the distance. He was peering off over the ship like, what the heck is that? And then he suddenly realized that it was an enormous sperm whale making a beeline for the ship. Now a big-ass whale coming to attack your boat out in the middle of nowhere, that's a big oh-shit moment. Chase guesstimated that the whale swam towards them about three knots before smashing into the ship head-on with, quote, such an appalling and tremendous jar as nearly threw us all on our faces. And now sperm whales are normally big scaredy cats, but for some reason, this whale was not. And some people think the reason that the whale attacked is because the hammering that they were doing on the ship sounded very similar to the clicks that other male whales make. And so this whale might have been like, oh no, there's another guy in my territory, I gotta go beat the shit out of him. Whatever it was, the whale wasn't having it. The whale hit the ship a second time, taking no mercy. The crew that was still on board dropped the additional whaling boats and tried to fill them up with navigational tools and bread and water. By the time that Pollard and the other whaling boats got back to the Essex, it was nothing but a shipwreck. And now, he and his crew are stranded almost 2,000 miles out to sea. And there are not enough rations for them to survive. After the break, the real filth comes in. BRB. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. And we're back, just in time for things to turn from bad to worse. Also, I feel like it's only fair to warn you up front, this is where things start getting really gritty, like really gritty. So, you know, if you need to, probably like don't eat during this part. It's kind of gross, unless you're a freak like me. (laughs) So anyway, the Essex is destroyed. There are three whaling boats left filled with 20 men. And each of these boats were only 20 feet long. All the dudes are freaked. Pollard is scared as heck. At this point, they got to make some decisions. Pollard wanted to head for what he believed was the closest land, the Marquesas and Society Islands. But the rest of the crew was like, uh, cannibals live there? I don't want to go there. Which, LOL, is going to be very ironic. They were like, if we want to survive, we should head south with hope that the winds will, like, move our little boats along. Or maybe another whaling ship will see us. And the thing is, uh, those islands that the crew was so afraid of going to uh, supposedly had traders traveling to them without any issue. All ten fingers and toes intact. Promised no missing legs. So instead of going there to land, they started heading south. And to no surprise, it fucking sucked. The salt water ruined the bread. They had nothing to drink. They were stuck in the sun. I mean, you think falling asleep at the beach with no sunscreen is bad? They're just out in the sun on a boat. Crispy. And then if that wasn't bad enough, Pollard's ship got attacked again. People aren't 100% sure, but it's assumed that it was a killer whale this time. If so, that leaves the score whales 2, humans 0. I can hear the thunderous applause from the depths of the ocean. Yas! They eventually belly flopped onto land two weeks later at Henderson Island. Other than some fresh water, there was like no food. They were there for a week. Three men chose to stay behind to test their luck on the island, but the rest of them decided to hit the high seas again, which is going to be a massive mistake. It's mid-December and the remaining crew have been at sea for weeks. And then when it gets to January, The lack of rations takes its toll. The first person to die, ironically, is one of the men who voted against sailing to the closest islands for the fear of cannibals. It's January 10th, 1828. Second mate Matthew Joy meets his untimely demise. 
he's given a true sailor's burial, and his body is tossed to the sea. Obed Hendricks takes command of the small whaling boat. The next day, a storm-separated first mate Chase's boat from Hendricks and Pollard. Chase's boat started out having the worst luck. On January 20th, the first of Chase's small crew dies. It was a normal death, nothing weird to see there, just a normal starvation, dehydration, exhaustion death. But then three weeks later, Isaac Cole dies. And he did not go easy into that dark night, no, 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 no. He went batshit crazy. At that point though, who could blame the guy? None of these men had had a substantial meal or water for weeks and had been staring at the same endless blue for months. But back to Cole, and whatever was still functioning in that head of his, he stands up, asks for a dinner napkin, and then falls into convulsions. By the next morning, he's as dead as a doornail. Why are doornails dead? I don't know. At this point, Chase asked the rest of his crew, he was like, so do you guys want to eat this body or what? And not a single person objected. He actually wrote about this in his book, Shipwreck of the Whale Ship Essex. And in that book, he described the cannibalism. He said the men, quote, separated limbs from his body and cut all the flesh from the bones. After which we opened the body, took out the heart and then closed it again sewed it up as decently as we could, and committed it to the sea. Then, just to be civilized, they used a flat stone upon which they roasted the man's organs. Talk about a full spread. It was time to feast. Chase also wrote about how they cut the dead man into thin strips. Some of those strips were hung on the boat to dry in the sun so they could have food for later. Just a little sailor jerky. After this cannibalism, this left three remaining men on Chase's boat. As for Hendrick's crew, his men fell like dominoes. From January 20th to the 27th, three of Hendrick's men died and all three of them were eaten. Their names were Lawson Thomas, Charles Shorter, and Isaac Shepard. And since Hendrick's and Pollard's boats were so close together, the human hamburger helper was shared all around. And this is also when things are getting even more fucked up. Because Lawson, Charles, and Isaac, all of them were black. And then on Pollard's boat, another black man died. His name was Samuel Reed. He died on January 28th. He was also eaten. And now historians aren't sure if this was all a coincidence, the fact that all the black crew members died. But I think we can speculate that, uh, based on the rest of the history of the United States of America, it maybe was not. As if eating your shipmates wasn't bad enough, another storm came through the next day and sent Hendrick's boat one way and Pollard's the other. Now each whaling ship was left to fend for itself. There were four men left on Pollard's boat, but the men decided if they didn't eat, they would die. It's been nine weeks since the Essex took a nosedive into the sea with the help of the whale. And it was teenager Charles Ramsdale who suggested that they do the custom of the sea. 
Now this was an old sea custom that dated back to the first half of the 17th century. It's the idea that if sailors found themselves stranded in remote waters with no food or water, the public would be sympathetic to cannibalism as a way to survive. Basically, if a shipwrecked sailor acknowledged that they had eaten human flesh to survive, everyone would be like, eh, that's fine. Sailors would draw straws to see who was going to be the next pig on a stick. But of course, like with most things, that's not really how it went. It was the survival of the fittest with the strong preying on the weak. If it was passengers versus sailors, passengers got eaten first, boys were eaten before men, and of course, if you were black, you were eaten before your white counterparts. Also, everything else had to be consumed before resorting to eating each other. Like, everything. Shoes, candles, leather goods, blankets. What doesn't hit that spot like a good cotton blanket? Yum, yum. The dead also had to be eaten first, you know, if they hadn't already been dropped as fish food. So with the drawing straw system, though, the person who would draw the shortest straw was the person who got eaten, and then whoever drew the second shortest straw would be the one who has to kill the guy with the shortest straw. All very straightforward, those are the rules. So back to Pollard's small crew, There are four of them left, and Ramsdell says, Yo, dudes, we need to draw the straws. Everyone agrees. And then, in a wild twist of fate, Owen Coffin, Pollard's younger cousin, draws the short straw, and Ramsdell, who is Coffin's friend, draws the second shortest. Pollard is upset. Coffin is family. And remember, he had promised Coffin's mother that he'd get the kid back in one piece. And now he's like, I gotta eat him. Fuck. Pollard offered to take Coffin's place, but Coffin refused. He was like, nah, man, I got the short straw. This is how it goes. I just hope you get to eat all the juicy bits. Ramza was also not happy about this. He didn't want to shoot his friend. Again, this was also weird because they had a fourth guy on the boat who evidently had no problem with any of this. I mean, they could have probably just ganged up on him and eaten him. But I don't know, they're like, we gotta, we gotta believe in the straws, I guess. It took a long time for Ramsdale to pull the trigger. In fact, Coffin kind of had to encourage him to do it. And so they killed him. And they ate him. Mmm, cousin jerky. As for the other sailor who was with Pollard's small crew, he died and was eaten five days later. By this time, 300 miles separated Chase and Pollard's boat, and Pollard is faring way worse. Now there's only him and Ramsdale. Not a great thought. And they're so hungry that they're trying to break up their crewmates' bones to get to their marrow. Now it's almost the end of February. They're floating out in the middle of the ocean when suddenly an American ship comes into view. It's called the Dauphin. The crew on the boat spot him and Ramsdale, but they were so far gone at this point that they're like, no, we don't like this. We want to be left out to sea. Leave us alone. Who are these devils? When the crew members of the Dauphin picked them up, Pollard and Ramsdale stuffed their pockets with their dead crewmates' bones, and it's said that the delirious men were seen sucking the bones of their dead messmates, which with they were loath to part. 
So Pollard and Ramsdale have been saved. A week earlier, after 89 days at sea, Chase's crew was spotted by the English ship The Indian, and his three crew members were rescued. So as of now, from the 20 men that were on the Essex, five of them have survived the unforgiving seas. The two mini-crews were reunited in Valparaiso, Chile. Once they were there, the Australian ship Surrey was sent to see if the three guys who had stayed on that island were alive. And lo and behold, all three dudes had made it. Unlike their counterparts, they'd been cooking up shellfish and bird eggs. On April 9, 1821, they were officially rescued. I'm sure the others were feeling some sort of way about that. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to eat the, your fellow crewmates? Okay, fine. But what about Hendrick's boat? The guy who took over after second mate Joy died? Well, no one really knows. A third boat was found years later on Ducey Island with three skeletons. However, no one knows for sure if it was Hendrick's boat. It's never been proven. When the remaining crew made it back to Nantucket, pretty much everyone forgave them. Oh, you had to eat our friends and family to survive? Cool, 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 cool. No, I totally understand it. I support you. That's fine. Remember, it's the custom of the sea. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. But the one person who wasn't getting high fives for being back, it was Pollard. Because Pollard, they saw him in a different way. Because Pollard... He ate his cousin, and apparently, that's too far. This was viewed as gastronomic incest, and it was totally inappropriate. I love rules. This is crazy. Anyway, I'm sure none of them really felt great about eating people. But after they got back, Chase, he actually became a writer. He wrote the narrative of the most extraordinary and distressing shipwreck of the whale ship Essex. And the thing is, Chase, he actually went on to keep killing whales in the Pacific. Dude was also a ladies' man. He got married four times. Uh, and his second wife was actually the widow of Matthew Joy. Remember, Joy was Chase's second mate on the Essex and the first dude to kick the can. Chase retired in 1840 before dying in 1869. And the thing is, before his death, he went completely insane and began hoarding food in his attic. And here's what happened to the other guys. Captain Thomas Nickerson, who survived... He kept working as a mate on whaling boats until he and his wife went back to Nantucket during the 1870s. And like Chase, he also wrote about what happened, but he lost the notebook. But the account was actually found and then published in 1984. Then there's Captain Charles Ramsdell, who also kept sailing on whaling ships. Then there's Captain Benjamin Loris. He continued whaling as well, along with some other side hustles. The thing is, it's crazy that these guys kept wailing. I feel like after I ate someone, I'd probably not want to be at sea ever again. But Pollard, he also was a captain again on another ship, this one called the Two Brothers. And Nickerson and Ramsdell, they chose to once again board under Pollard's command. But after being in the ocean for 15 months, the two brothers hit a coral reef during a storm and again, the whole crew was stuck on small boats in the middle of the ocean. But luckily, they were rescued the next day. After the wreck of the two brothers, Pollard's career tanked. He was considered bad luck and never went whaling again. He did one more voyage in the merchant service, but then was like, meh, I'm good. 
And then he just stayed in Nantucket to work as a grocer for a few years, and then a constable for 13 years. People seemed to like him, despite his bad luck. Um, He was married for more than 50 years and then died in 1870. However, the Essex, obviously, that stayed with him. Pollard would spend every anniversary of the Essex wreck in his room fasting in honor of his dead crew. As always, we learn a lesson from American filth, and that lesson is... Did you guys get that? It says, give me back my brother, Jonathan. American Field is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcast. This episode was hosted and sound designed by me, Gabby Watson, written by Miranda Hawkins. The theme song is by me and Jesse Neiswanger. Our senior producer is Amelia Brock, and our executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Elsie Crowley. You can follow the show on Instagram at American Filth Pod, and be sure to subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I hope you don't get so hungry that you have to eat people. Bye. School of Humans. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.